Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one is gonna be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. Maybe you just forgot your Bible or you didn't bring a Bible. If you don't... Excuse me, if you don't own a Bible, for sure, raise your hand and grab one of these. Take it home as our gift to you. And turn to Matthew chapter 1, first book in the New Testament. As we start a new series this morning, I got to tell you, I, I, I love that we're already jumping into a Christmas series. Now, I love Christmas. I, I, for real, I love it. I'm, I'm not a Clark Griswold. We don't have that many lights up in our home. But what we did, we started decorating our house in November. My, my kids made me phone Home Depot in November to ask, when do the Christmas trees arrive? Why aren't they here yet? So I could get it on the day they showed up at Home Depot. But in all the, all the glimmer of Christmas and all, all, the, all the lights and all the, 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 the gifts and stuff, there, there's a dark side to Christmas as well. I mean, people talk about the, the Christmas blues where it's during the holidays that, that so many people, they, they feel depression and anxiety to a higher level than they do any other time of the year. There, there's the after Christmas blah. Christmas presents are all opened. You, the, people have all gone home. The stockings are empty. And you kind of sit there and think, is this it? I mean, what happens at Christmas, these, these huge expectations we have, they come slamming into reality and, and we're knocked over because we built up in our mind, this is gonna be, what it, Christmas is gonna be the best Christmas ever and, and it's impossible for that Christmas experience to deliver on what our hearts are actually desiring. And in fact, it was a few years ago, I, I thought, I may have told this before, but I thought it'd be a, a cool tradition to, to start in our family to, hey, let's go cut down our own Christmas tree. And so I hiked into our forest with my girls and an ax and, and I'd, I'm gonna find the perfect Christmas tree in our forest. There were not any perfect Christmas in my forest or in my neighbor's forest either because I checked there, all right? And uh, finally we did find one that wasn't perfect but what I realized is that to get a, a nice five-foot tree, you had to cut down a 45-foot tree to get that, that top part, right? So I'm starting to hack away at this tree while one of my daughters is lying in the snow crying saying, I'm cold. And in my wonderful Christmas spirit, I go, you're lying in the snow. Of course you're cold. My, my other daughter says, why don't, why don't we just go to Home Depot and buy one? I'm like, be quiet because this is beautiful. This is a Christmas tradition, right? They, they end up walking home without me. I, I stay there hacking away at this Christmas. So this, this beautiful tradition became girls crying, daddy saying words he shouldn't say, dragging an ugly Christmas tree home that would make Charlie Brown's tree look good, right? Christmas, I don't know if you can relate to this, but Christmas oftentimes can be more messy than magical. I mean, sometimes the holidays don't bring families together. Or sometimes the holidays do bring your family together only to throw a grenade into the middle of that room, the living room or the, the, the dining table to blow things up in your family. And sometimes you get everything you wanted and yet that nagging feeling of emptiness is still there. I mean, what happens is our, our huge expectations of what Christmas is gonna be oftentimes slam into the reality of what Christmas is and, and, and we start to see, man, Christmas isn't that TV special I see on, on Christmas Day. Christmas is messy at times and as we start to dig into this series in December here on Sunday morning, I, we start to see the, the nativity scene, the, the Christmas card, the, 
what we hope Christmas to be, that oftentimes our Christmas aren't that beautiful, quiet, serene event. When we sing the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, right? Where all is calm, all is bright. And I don't know about you, but, but there was a baby born on that night. I've seen all three of my kids born, and, and I can tell you silent and calm are not how I would describe it, right? And that first Christmas, Jesus born into this, this marginalized family in this, this backwater town to a people who were occupied by a foreign army, who were, who were being oppressed by this power. The, the world was not magical at that time. The world was a mess. But God steps into that mess. God steps into our mess. God steps into our brokenness. God steps into our pride. God steps into our hearts and our lives and into our families. And he brings a promise of hope and peace and rest. So let me pray and we're gonna jump into the book of Matthew together. Let me pray with us right now. Lord, Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that in the, the chaos of life that there is peace. That in the brokenness, there is healing. That in the mess, there is hope. And that hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. I pray that this morning, as we open up your word, Lord God, that we see Jesus more clearly. I pray that in our hearts, that we would see Jesus more clearly. I pray that as we leave here, we would see and know Christ better and more clearly. And God, because of that, we would be changed. We would see that you stepped into our brokenness to bring hope and peace, even this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Look at uh, Matthew chapter one. Hey, we're gonna read the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter one. So get your Bibles open, follow along as I read. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of and some guy, right? And who is the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, and by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Is he gonna keep reading this whole thing? I'm gonna read the whole thing, all right? And Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And Abiud, the father of Elikim. And Elikim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Methan. And Methan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. 
I know many of you woke up this morning and you thought, I hope Pastor Kai speaks on a passage that reads like a Jewish phone book, right? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how many people, when you go through your Bible reading, when you're reading scripture and you come to a genealogy, you at least skim, if not skip the genealogy. Anybody do that? Anybody, right? You call yourself Christians, right? <laughs> Maybe some soon-to-be moms are like listening and telling, go, maybe I could find some names here, right? Yeah, do not name your kids Shayla Till. They will not like you very much when they get older. All right, but, but here's my question. What does this passage tell us about Christmas? What does this passage tell us about Jesus? Here's what it tells us. It tells us this, that Jesus stepped into history to give us rest in the mess. Jesus stepped into history to give us rest in the mess. In fact, let's, let's break that apart a little bit and just start with the first part of that, that Jesus stepped into history. I mean, Jesus steps into history. This book written by Matthew starts off with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I mean, right away that should tell us something as we jump into this story of, of Christ. Right away it should tell us something because Matthew doesn't start off by saying, once upon a time, he, he doesn't start off by saying long ago in a galaxy far, far away. He starts off with a genealogy. You know, C.S. Lewis was, was reading the Gospels as an atheist, as he was the, one of the professors of literature at Oxford. He starts reading the Gospels and he started to realize something. He said, these don't read like a fairy tale. These don't read like a myth. These read like history. It's like reading a newspaper filled with facts. Right away, we see that this is not a fairy tale. This is not a fable. This is reality that Jesus has stepped into history. And, and Matthew right away moves Jesus Christ, moves the story of Christmas out of this realm of this quiet, practice your religious faith in the quiet of your own home. And if it makes you feel warm and fuzzy, you can believe this stuff. But he steps in and right away he declares there really was someone who was born, who was the son of God who was raised physically from the dead. These events really happened. People really saw him. God was born in a manger. And listen, this changes everything. I mean, if it was just a nice religious story, if it was just kind of some nice teachings, you could blow it off and go, well, that's just good moral teaching. That's just religion. Matthew steps in and boldly says, that's not what it is. God stepped into history. This happened, and, and what you do with this fact of history will change you for eternity. We start to see right away that the, the story of Christmas, who Christ is, Christianity, it's not just a, a bunch of principles that Jesus taught us. It is, it's not just some good advice being announced. No, it's an announcement of good news where Jesus is stepping into our world, not just to tell us to be good, but he's stepping in to do something for us. You see, Christianity does not rise and fall on the teachings of Jesus. Christianity depends on Jesus Christ being in actual history. The, the core of Christianity is not what Jesus taught us to do, but what he did for us on the cross. What he did is he rose again from the grave. This is an announcement of the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And there's a, a huge difference between religion, which is good advice, and the gospel that's good news. 
I mean, if you think about it, in ancient Greece, if, if your village, if your town, if your city was under siege and, and being attacked, a general could send you an announcement of good advice. And he could say, hey, protect the walls, build it up, get the strongest fighters and, and get some weapons ready and, and get food and water together. That's good advice because an enemy's coming and it's gonna be a war. Or, or listen, if that same general had defeated that army already, the army you were worrying about coming and he defeated, he would send good news. He would send what, what scripture would call, what, what the, in that time they would call the gospel. He would send this gospel message saying, the enemy has been defeated. Victory is won. And so when Jesus shows up in history, when, when angels announce peace on earth, salvation for humankind, they didn't say a great teacher has been born. They said the savior is born. I mean, we don't need another teacher. We, we, we've had thousands of years of teachers and good advice and we never followed the good advice before. So, so why would adding more good advice change anything? It's like a fifth grader who can't quite get their, their times tables. And we think, you know what? Maybe we need to put them in advanced calculus. That, that'll probably help. G give them more stuff to do. I mean, if Christianity was just good advice, it's useless to us, but it's not just good advice. It's good news that Jesus came to save us, that, that he entered into history to live a life that we couldn't live, the perfect life that we had to live to be made right with God, and we couldn't do it. Jesus lived that life, and then he died the death that we were supposed to die to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay because of our sin against a holy God. And they rose again from the dead. And the, for those who believe, for those who rest their whole lives on this truth, you're forever changed. Not because of what Jesus taught, but because of what Jesus did. Listen, what that's telling us is it doesn't matter how well you do at religion. It doesn't matter how, how good you are with your morals because as a, as a Christian, a Christian is not about being better and being more moral. No, new life in Christ is found when you receive the gift of Christ. When you surrender everything, when you lay down your sin, when you lay down your good works, when you lay down everything at the cross and say, I'm following you, Christ, you're my everything. That's when new life begins. As Christians, we, we, need to, we need to live out this reality every day. If you don't know Christ, that's the starting point. If you do know Christ, that's the starting point. Every day, coming back to the gospel every day, remembering that Christ died for my sins every day. Remembering that Christ paid my ransom in full every day. That, that seeing Christ is my ultimate treasure every day. Remembering who you are as a child of God, that, that Jesus stepped into history, into your history, to bring this good news. This good news that was promised by God centuries before Christ came. And you see the, the first person name there that he said he's the, the son of David, then he also says the son of Abraham. Think about just those two guys right there, the, the son of Abraham. And remember, remember, God came to Abraham in Genesis. Abraham, this, this old guy with no kids, no real opportunity. His wife was old, he was old, and God comes to him and says, Abraham, step out of your tent for a second. Look up in the sky. What do you see? 
He goes, all those stars you see, that'll be how many kids you have. That'll be your family. And from your family is going to come a savior, a Messiah, someone to change the world, someone to bring hope and healing. It would take a thousand more years before David shows up. And as David shows up, there's this this promise that that David's a great king, but there's gonna come an even greater king, a new king that would rule and reign forever. Centuries go by. Israel's thrown into captivity into Babylon. The promise seems forgotten now. In fact, after that, we see that after the prophets had, had been prophesying, now there was 400 years before the last prophet and Christ coming. 400 years of silence. I mean, for hundreds and thousands of years, there's been this promise and prophet saying, hey, hey, the world is broken, but, but God's sending a Messiah. The, the, the world's a wreck. The, the, God's sending a king. Things are a mess, but hope and peace is coming. Good news is coming now for 400 years, not even a prophet talking. And it looked like that God had forgotten all of his promises. When you read through this genealogy, what do you see? You see this, that God's promises are always true, but we might not always see him at work. And listen, in your life, even right now, God might seem very slow, but he never forgets his promises. And when his promises break through and come true in your life, and they always do, God's promises always come true. Listen, when they come true, they're always greater than we ever could imagine. And and even when things look the darkest, God's still at work. I mean, think about even the tiniest details of of the Christmas story. Think about the the detail of of Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. Now, how did they get to Bethlehem? Because Caesar did a a census to get everybody to their towns because he wanted to to get more taxes out of people. He wanted to count all his people to be sure he's getting the right amount of tax. So he taxes the whole known world. Everyone goes back to their hometown. Joseph from Bethlehem goes back to Bethlehem. Why? Because God promised years, centuries before that the Messiah would be born in this small town of Bethlehem. I mean, think about that. Couldn't God have just come? Couldn't could an angel have just appeared to Joseph? I mean, an angel had already appeared to Joseph. Couldn't he have said, hey, psst, by the way, take Mary to Bethlehem to, to have the baby. But God, God doesn't do that. Why not? I think because God is showing us something so much greater. Showing us that, that listen, he can move powerful nations around like chess pieces to accomplish his purposes in Jesus Christ. He taxes the whole known world to move two people about 150 kilometers. You think about the world at this time, the the Israelites were were in despair, hugely discouraged. They looked around and thought, God, you're not fulfilling your promises. Rome's in charge. Life's not that great. God, are you even at work? In your life, maybe in your life right now, there's there's chaos. Seems like God's quiet. There's a mess, God. Aren't you gonna, are you not gonna come in and bring healing and hope? And listen, and it doesn't look like God's at work. Listen, he was at work all through the Old Testament. In, in what seemed like silence, God was doing his greatest work. And listen, listen, he's at work today in your life as well. In the chaos, in the mess, in the silence, God's at work. You can trust that his promises are always true. 
You know, last Christmas, my family, we all binge-watched all the Star Wars episodes, getting ready for the, the newest one that came out last Christmas, right? The Force Awakens. And so, so we, wa- we went through, like, every single one, one two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right? We're watching them all. And as we're watching Star Wars, if you get to Empire Strikes Back, if you, like, know Star Wars, if you don't, awesome, you should, right? And Han Solo, right? Remember, he gets frozen in that carbonite? And in Empire Strikes Back, you're thinking, oh, man, Han Solo, that's it, he's done. He's, he's dead, he's gone. And until you look at the, the, the poster for Return of the Jedi and there's Han Solo with his gun. I'm gonna go, wait a minute, he's not gone, he's not dead. He's, he's gonna be okay, we, right? It, everything's gonna be all right. Listen, Jesus, Jesus' face, Jesus, the picture of Christ is all over God's word from beginning to end. We know the end of the story, Jesus wins. Amen. And in your life, it may seem chaotic right now. It may seem like a mess. It may seem like you're just getting crushed in that chaos. But listen, God has a promised purpose in your life to reveal Jesus to you, to glorify himself in you. In fact, everything in your life is ultimately being about that, that that in this chaos, God might be doing his greatest work making you more and more like Jesus. Seeing Jesus as your ultimate treasure. We see in this genealogy, story after story, when you study the people that are listed in here, you just see chaos and mess, but God takes the brokenness and he redeems the brokenness for his purposes. I mean, verse two, it says that that Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah, Do you know how Jacob fathered Judah? Jacob lied. Jacob disguised himself as his brother so he could steal the birthright. And because he lied and manipulated, his brother Esau wasn't too happy about it. And, and, And so because of Jacob's lie, he fractures his whole family. Jacob has to run because Esau's looking to kill him now. So Jacob goes into exile, hiding from his brother. Family, listen, his his sin created chaos. His sin had consequences, and yet God's still at work. Because as as Jacob is running, he meets Rachel. And through Rachel, he's the father of Judah. And through Judah, we have Jesus. Even though Jacob had blown his life apart with sin, and there were real consequences to his sin, but God didn't say, I'm going to put your whole life on plan B now. No, Rachel wasn't plan B. The Messiah was not plan B. God was working out his purposes, and he's going to fulfill his purposes as he steps into our brokenness and into our mess. Now, what's Jesus doing as he steps in? Here's our second point is this. Jesus steps into history to give us rest. To give us rest. Look at verse 17. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, if you're a good Jewish scholar, you, you would you'd be reading this account that Matthew's writing out and you would say, mm, uh, no, Matthew. There weren't 14 generations from Abraham to David. There, there weren't 14 generations from David to the exile and from the exile to Jesus. 
I mean, some of these fathers, it says the word father, in the, the, in the King James, it would say begat, which is a, probably a better word because they're not really all fathers. Some of them are grandfathers. Some of them are great grandfathers. What, what Matthew's doing, he's selectively choosing in this genealogy, which was super common in that day. You wouldn't put everybody in your family tree. As you were saying, hey, here's my family, you would choose specifically who you would put in. And, and for the most people, what you would do is you would choose to make yourself look a lot better, right? Like Billy Bob stole horses and beat up old ladies for money. Let's not mention him, but Frank was the president of a really big company. Put him in the family tree, right? So, so what's the purpose? What's Matthew doing? He's, he's making these groups of 14. Obviously, he's trying to make a point as he's doing that. What's his point? Well, 14 and 14 and 14. Actually, it's groups of seven. There's six sevens. Jesus comes as the seventh seven. And again, if, if you're a Jewish man or woman, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is starting to make sense because I know what seven means. Seven is such an important number for us. Seven is a number of, of Sabbath. That's when we're supposed to rest. One day a week we give to rest. One year out of seven, the seventh year, they, they call it the sabbatical year where, where the debts are forgiven, slaves are set free, and we rest. The, the seventh Sabbath year, so every 49, 50 years, it's called the year of Jubilee. Now, not only are sa- slaves set free and debts repaid, now even the land that you may have lost or sold, everything goes back to its original owner. I mean, it sounds radical. It sounds so crazy. In fact, so crazy. You know that they, history would say that they don't think Israel ever practiced the year of Jubilee. It was such a radical form of this Sabbath. And when Matthew is saying that, that Jesus Christ comes as the jubilee of jubilees, as the Sabbath of Sabbaths, he's the promised rest. He's the gospel that brings deep rest for weary souls. Now, how is it? How does the gospel, how does this good news bring rest? You've heard me say before that this definition of the gospel, this definition that says that you're more broken and sinful than you would ever admit but you're also more loved and accepted than you could ever imagine. It's a pretty good definition. You have both parts of the gospel. I'm more broken and sinful than I'd ever admit to anybody, but I'm also more loved and forgiven and accepted than I could ever imagine. How does that truth bring me rest? That's the good news of Jesus Christ, that, 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 that listen, we're so sinful, we could never save ourselves. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I rest in his finished work. And and that's my hope. That's my salvation that I've been completely accepted, completely forgiven, all because of what Christ did. Completely loved and cherished by God the Father. I mean, that's the gospel. And, And there's rest that comes when we rest in both parts of that gospel. I mean, when you accept the fact that you're a condemned sinner, you finally get the rest from hiding. I mean, if you don't understand the gospel that says, yeah, that's who you were. Outside of Christ, this is who you are. When you don't get that, what do you do? You fake it till you make it. You, you strive hard to look good. You, you come into a church setting going, I better look good here. I better put on this mask. I better smile real good. My family better look perfect. I, I better have no sin. And you hide your failures. You don't want anyone to see the real you. You, you try so hard to clean yourself up. And God says, listen, until you're willing to admit that you're, you're not good inside, that you are a sinful person outside of Christ, you're never gonna find rest. You'll be striving to earn God's love. 
You'll end up in a spiritual sense, almost being like that aging Hollywood star that just keeps getting more and more plastic surgery. And everybody's looking in going, yeah, that doesn't look real. It doesn't look quite right. It's not really working. And it's so tiring. You're, you're always running. You're always pursuing, always being pursued. And Jesus steps in and says, stop, rest, take off the mask. You're a sinner, relax. I mean, that's the truth. Stop running from that truth of your sin. Instead, repent and turn, surrender and die. Lay it down at the cross, all your sin, all your good works, all your striving. Saying it's all yours, Christ. And then Jesus speaks a new word over you. He says, it's not, it's not what you do, it's what I've done. Rest in my work on the cross, Jesus says. I love how Paul says it in Romans 4, verse 5. He says, to the one who does not work but believes, believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that's the one whose faith is counted as righteousness. Not the one who works hard at it, the one who believes in Christ. Paul's saying what Jesus is saying. He's saying, rest. Stop, stop trying to be so good. Stop trying to earn God's love for you. Just rest from hiding the fact that you're a sinner. Rest from trying to prove yourself. Rest in Christ. I mean, Matthew goes through all of this list to say, Jesus here, he's the seventh seven. He's your jubilee. He's the rest for those who put their hope in him. I mean, this Christmas, are, are you resting? Or are you anxious? Or are you feeling guilty? Are you striving hard? Are you are striving to make a name for yourself? Are you, are you feeling like a failure? Are you dealing with, with feelings of, I'll, I'll never measure up? And listen, rest in the Jesus who stepped into your mess. Finally, this morning, Jesus stepped into history to give us rest in the mess. I remember, remember I said that, that as people would, would write out their genealogies, they, they would try to clean them up. It, it's kind of like building a resume. You, you just kind of fudge everything a little bit because you want to make yourself look better. It, it's the ancient way of, of somebody saying, I, you know, I don't know how to put this, but I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. People know me, right? That's what genealogies were for, right? And, and in fact, you, you read in history that Herod the Great, trying to create his own genealogy, he, what, he, what, what Herod was, Herod was, was half Edomite. That, that was part of his family tree was Edomite. And apparently if you were an Edomite, you were born on the wrong side of the Jordan. I don't know how you'd put it, right? Like you, the Edomites weren't really looked well upon. And so what did Herod do? He wiped that all from his genealogy. So if we know that, if we understand that's how genealogies normally are written, it should blow our minds when we see who God put in the family of Jesus Christ, into the ge genealogy of the king of the universe. I mean, just look at a few of them. First of all, you're gonna see five women mentioned. I mean, that's important right there. See, women weren't typically considered important to put into genealogies. Only the men were put in there. Women didn't count. And God says, listen, the king of the universe is proud of women. The king of the universe. When Jesus comes, the status of women is changing. That's what he's saying. Because this changes everything. But, but it's not just scandalous that women were included in this. 
that, are, that women were given the proper place that God has for them. But, but look at the women who are mentioned. These are not the most respectable women. Verse three, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. You can read about Tamar in Genesis 38. Now, as you're reading that, it, it's definitely PG-13, all right? It's one where you're reading through with your kids, maybe reading through the Bible, you hit Genesis 38, you're like, maybe we're just gonna skip to Exodus. Let's just go to Moses, all right? We're gonna go past Tamar and her story. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty awful story. Ultimately, let me, let me give you the, the, the real shortened version. Tamar loses her husband. Her husband dies before she has a kid. And at that time, the brother's supposed to step in now and be the husband. None of the brothers wanted Tamar. And so what did Tamar do? Tamar pretended to be dressed up like a prostitute to get her father-in-law, Judah, to sleep with her. And Perez is born. So, so here's Perez. Perez's dad is also his grandpa. You follow me? Right? This is like a Maury Povich show happening right here in Jesus' genealogy, right? Verse five talks about Rahab. Rahab didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She really was a prostitute. Verse five talks about Ruth. She was a, a, a peg and she wasn't, she was a gentle. She was a total outsider. Verse six says that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Amazing that, that Matthew's even pointed that he's highlighting who this was. It's Bathsheba. Who's Bathsheba? That, that woman that David saw bathing said, I want her takes her to be his own, kills, has her husband Uriah killed on the battlefront. And finally, you have Mary, this total nobody. I mean, every one of these women, if you were to look at Old Testament law, every one of them would be declared unclean. They're, they're unfit to be in the presence of God. They could not worship God. And Jesus is proud of them. Why? Because they had faith because they gave themselves, they're now a part of the genealogy of the king of the universe. I mean, that's just the women. I mean, there's a train wreck of dudes here in here as well. <laughs> Abraham, Abraham, so scared to protect his own skin, he lies about his beautiful wife, Sarah, to two kings. They say, she's my sister, you can have her. I mean, I, I can't even imagine doing that once and, and what that conversation would have been like after that between Abraham and Sarah, right? I mean, Abraham would be on the couch for a while after that one. He does it twice. Jacob was a liar. Solomon was a womanizer. I mean, Jesus' family is full of mess. Now, what does that mean? Listen, it, it means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter to, to look at your family, to look at your past. I mean, you, you can look at all that and go, man, I'm so far from God. My life is a train wreck. I, I've not submitted at all to God. I've submitted everything else. I've submitted everything the world tells me to submit to. I've, I've submitted to myself, to what I wanted. And then Jesus steps into that brokenness. Jesus comes for the outcast to change you and to call you into his family. Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way, and he would take upon himself the iniquity, the sin, the brokenness of us all. Which is amazing when you read through this list, you have Abraham and King David mentioned in the same list as the prostitute Rahab. Why? Because in Christ, prostitute and king 
sit down as equals. That when we come to the cross, the ground is level at the cross. Those prideful of their status are brought low when they come to the cross. Those broken and wounded are lifted up at the cross to a level ground. And, and the love and grace of God is so all over his word that even something that would seemingly be boring, like a genealogy, you see love and grace all over it. I mean, you read and see this mass of incest, adultery, murder, paganism, prostitution, and Jesus comes in and he says, hey, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I'll, I'll be proud of you. Come to me and I'll, I'll be proud and honored to have you in my family. It doesn't matter what you've done. I mean, this is Christmas. This is God in the manger. This is God in the manure. This is Jesus' first worshipers being shepherds who were the outcasts of society. Most shepherds were ex-cons. Jesus comes at night, so it's even the, the worse than just being an ex-con. You're playing the night shift now, right? That's where you're working. Like you're, the, you're worse than just the regular ex-con. Now you're the night shift shepherd, and that's the first worshipers of Jesus Christ. Jesus steps into our mess, and he says, peace. He steps into your brokenness and says, welcome to the family. Let that change the way we look at each other. That's what the church is right there. That's what the church is. Where status and connections and family history, they mean nothing in the church. We're brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter what kind of bank account you bring in here. It doesn't matter what kind of family history you have when you come in here. It doesn't matter the amount of brokenness that you may think you have as you come in here. Why? Because in Christ, listen, if you're in Christ, this is your family. We're brothers and sisters. The king worships beside the prostitute in the church because of Christ. Let that truth change how you look at yourself. I mean, think about what this means. If, if you're so weighed down with, the, with these feelings of inferiority, if you're striving for something else to, to find rest in, you're, you're putting your hope in things that you know will never satisfy. If you have shame in your life, I mean, do you understand the honor it is to be a Christian? That Jesus says, I'm proud to call you my brother. I'm proud to call you my sister. I mean, even think of who's writing this book. His name's Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector before he met Jesus. Now, you gotta understand what a tax collector was. It wasn't just an accountant back in those days. It wasn't just some dude who worked for, for, for IRS or something like that, right? Who, who was a tax collector? He, he would have been like in the top one or two or three hated people in Israel. He's a guy who would have worked for the Romans collecting taxes off his own people. So you've got an occupying nation occupying your country and now they're taking taxes off you and they're choosing your brothers to do it to you. So Matthew would collect taxes off you and his pay was whatever he could get out of you. So instead of just collecting taxes, a tax collector would collect as much as he could. He would extort his own people for a profit to be wealthy. They, they, they were the oppressive white-collar criminals of the first century. And Jesus comes to Matthew at his tax booth, and he says, Matthew, follow me. I love it. It says in Matthew 9 that immediately Matthew stood up and followed Jesus. He left it all behind. What's that tell us? It tells us this. Listen, listen, you're not your addiction. 
You're not your sin. You're not your family. You're not what your parents said you were. You're not what that teacher called you. You're not the labels that you put on yourself. You're not your past. You're not your job because you are in Christ. And some of you here this morning would, would say, I'm a follower of Christ, but you're, you're giving yourself away to, to so many excuses and you need to hear the call of Jesus like he called to Matthew and say, follow me. And, and maybe today you need to stand up and follow Jesus and see that Jesus brings rest and peace. There's no other joy, there's no other hope in the world that can sustain you or fill you. Why? Because you were created for something so much more. And there's a love and a joy and a peace and a rest that comes from outside of this world, that comes from Jesus Christ, that presses into your life. And if you receive it, if you receive him, if you take Jesus, the gift he offers you, you find rest. Which is what some of you need most this Christmas. Rest for a weary soul. It's found in Christ. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rest that you promise us, the, the Sabbath of Sabbaths that's found in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I thank you that, that, that you speak truth, you speak life, you speak hope, you speak peace into our chaos. That we can rest in the gospel that says, yes, I'm more broken than I'd ever want to admit. And I can rest in that. Why? Because I can also rest in knowing that through Christ, I'm more loved and accepted than I ever could imagine. Jesus Christ, I pray that this Christmas, maybe this morning, Lord, if there are those here who have not accepted this gift you offer, not a call to do more, not a call to be more, but a call to receive your gift in Jesus Christ. And then we, we, we could see that your promises always come true. And then we would see you, Lord Jesus, so clearly that all the distractions of the world, all the other things that we try to go after, God, that they would seem so pale, so dim compared to who you are. Father, that we would be so transformed by this gospel that we would live as lights in a dark world. Change us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.